Fishing Stories is brought to you by Rep Your Water. For those of you who don't know, we are the co-founders of Rep Your Water, a design-driven apparel company dedicated to providing high-quality gear for anglers everywhere. My current favorite piece in the line is our Retro Camo Merino Blend Sun Hoodie. It breathes incredibly well, blocks the sun on hot days, and is also a perfect base layer. And you drew the camo pattern yourself, which makes it even more unique. Ah, that's right. (laughs) I'm always going to pick our Merino socks as my favorite. We have a nice variety of options for styles, and they are excellent for all seasons. Check out the full collection at www.repyourwater.com. I'm Garrison Doctor. And I'm Corinne Doctor. And this is Fishing Stories. And we are back for season four. Very excited. I actually am quite excited. You don't look that excited. Nobody can see, but... You know, we're getting into the zone here. This is an audio experience, luckily, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. But we have been away from the microphone for a little too long, if you ask me. Definitely. And in that time, we've had a couple of really fun events. We had like an open house around the holidays at the Rep Your Water headquarters. We got to be at the fly fishing show in Denver. And so many people talked to us about the podcast. Yeah. So we appreciate you out there. Thank you for listening. Uh, We really appreciate that. Yeah. We had multiple people say, well, when are you going to do more episodes? So here they are. Yeah. Thanks so much for asking. And we've got some stories to catch you up on. That's right. So today we're going to talk about Iceland. And like it or not, you just get Garrison and Corinne. This is a guest-free episode. That's right. (laughs) We got to go back to Iceland. So if you haven't heard our stories from Fishing Iceland the first time, go back and listen to those. But this time, uh, we got to go strictly for sea-run brown trout. Yeah. Our first experience with targeting sea-run brown specifically, we went to Fish Partners' new Battle Hill Lodge. It's in the southeast coast um, of Iceland. Um Just gorgeous country. I mean, how would you describe the landscape there, Corinne? It's like Lord of the Rings. It's it's incredible. It's the land of waterfalls, green stuff, because we were there at the end of summer. So it was just green, 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 beautiful. So many waterfalls, so many rivers. The South Coast in general is like tourism central. Yeah, I mean, it's spectacular. The river that is right in front of the lodge, the Fosala, is I think one of the most beautiful pieces of water we've seen, let alone fished. I mean, just the big bluffs behind with the waterfalls. It's crystal clear. I mean, just looking at that river is something else. And maybe we'll talk more about this, but many people just wanted to look at that river. (laughs) It is very (laughs) simple. But... Yes, it was our first time just getting to target sea-run brown trout, but for me personally, it was my first time targeting any sort of sea-run fish. You've had experience for steelhead and salmon in the Pacific Northwest when we went to school up there, um, but I had never targeted an anadromous fish at all. That's true. And your first time with the two-handed rod. How do you think that went? I had so much fun. Yeah. It was, well, we cast it on some grass, which anyone who has ever spay casted in their life knows that that's not a great way to practice. You need water. But we also did not have anywhere that we could practice nearby. 
Um, so I just got like the basic motions down and I was like, all right, well, let's just give it a rip. And day one, we walked up with our guide, Jerome, and he's like, do you want me to demonstrate for you? I said, I think that will be helpful. <laughs> but I made it happen. I mean, the first, I would say half day, I wasn't really shooting much line. Right. But that's the beautiful thing about these fish is they weren't that far away. Right. It's kind of a fun location for a spay caster because you can, like you said, I mean, fish pretty tight and definitely catch fish. And if you are a really good spay caster and you want to like really chuck some line. In There's some, plenty of water. Yeah. In some of these areas, like you have opportunity to do that and really get after it too. So it kind of works both ways. Well, speaking of there being plenty of water, our first day we got to go to what we call Vecna because we're horrible at Icelandic, but it's actually Vatnamut. Describe what Vatnamut, the river, looks like. Yeah, one of the most unique pieces of moving water we fished, I think, it's where the fossa lot that I was describing earlier, that's in front of the actual Battle Hill Lodge, which is mostly spring-fed and extremely clear, cold, scenic river, meets this other river that I do not remember the name of, that is very large and glacial fed. And when I mean glacial fed, I don't mean like it has a tinge of turquoise in it. I mean like it's chocolate milk sludge pudding glacial melt. But they meet and form this river, Matnamut, that is, we figured out, I think, what, like a kilometer wide? It's more than a kilometer wide because where we were fishing, I had my phone on me. Right. And my steps showed when we got there that we were almost a full kilometer into it and there was at least as much to go. Right. <laughs> now, the thing about this, that when you're picturing a piece of water that's whatever it is, two kilometers wide, you're thinking it's all fishable water. No, most of it is ankle deep. Yeah. And it's all shifting black volcanic sands. So it's moving and changing by the day or even the hour. Yeah, even when we were already fishing, you know, the guides, they have seen it throughout that season and the early season too. They can see as soon as like there's a shift because the currents change, the colors change, and they're like, all right, let's go find another hole. Right. So what you do is is you walk out and it's ankle deep, right? I mean, you're literally just out for a stroll. But like fully suited and booted, waders, boots, jackets. Well, it is Iceland. And, <laughs> you know, the air is maybe kind of cold and it's maybe raining. Hopefully it's raining because that's good for the fishing if you're fishing for sea run browns. But that water is so cold. Very cold. Yeah. But then you get out and you find a spot where all of a sudden there's a seam and a trough and it drops off to like, I mean, not super deep, but 12 feet deep. And ideally it's where the glacial meets the clear. And if you find that spot, in our experience, you find fish. The fish were there. Yeah. I mean, our first day we got to fish two different spots on Botnamut. One is called like the cliffs or something like that. I'm sure that Sindri and our friends at Fish Partner are listening to this like, how can you not remember all these amazing names? But it's basically like a grass kind of cutoff bank and you can fish quite a bit closer. You just kind of hop off the bank and there's a trough pretty close. If the water levels are high. Enough. That's right. Yeah. 
But then the other section, you kind of drive through the beach. This is why we named it Vecna for anyone who listens to Stranger Things or watches Stranger Things. There was this like red kind of like vine all over the black sand beaches. So it looked very much like Vecna's lair. That's right. That's an aside. And it's always shifting and changing. Yeah. Very eerie. Um, But you drive across the beach, park the car in what seems like a total arbitrary spot, and then haul all the way out there. I mean, we did measure it. It was close to a kilometer before we started fishing. But sometimes, like you said, it's really close. It just depends on where that seam is. It depends on where you're fishing. But just a really cool piece of water. And one of the things that's so neat about it is that you're very close to the ocean. So these browns that are pushing in and out, a lot of them are really fresh and they're strong fish. Yeah. And maybe we're assuming that people know what a sea run brown trout is. I'm sure a lot of people do, but it is a native fish to Iceland. It's a brown trout, genetically the same as any of the brown trout that you've caught elsewhere, but it is anadromous like a salmon or steelhead. So it goes out into the ocean and then comes back into the river. Unlike a salmon, it does this often and it does spawn in the river, but it also, according to the guys over there, they kind of come in and out willy-nilly. Yeah, it's a, little, <laughs> it's a little bit different even than a steelhead in that as far as I can tell from talking to these guys, they don't go far offshore. It's not like we're talking about a king salmon or even a steelhead that's going way out you know, into the ocean to feed for long periods of time. It seems like the sea run browns stay relatively close and coastal. And to your point, they spend a lot of their lives in the river and successfully and they eat in the river and metabolize in the river and they're happy in the river like when they run into the river they act sort of like a sea run fish for sure but also they're just brown trout too they're not as um anadromously weird in their finicky in their activity like they say that steelhead if they eat something in a river they won't metabolize it Mm. Like they don't really metabolize food once they run back into fresh water. I don't think that's the case with these guys. Like yeah. they spend months and months and they I mean, stay how... in good condition too. Yeah. And they were saying some of these fish will return to spawn in the rivers uh, eight, nine times. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, this is not like a death run. Like you think of a salmon, like these fish push in, they're happy. They spawn, they move around, they push out. Do to do to do. Yeah. So back on Vatnamot, like we were very close to the ocean. And so there was a lot of fresh fish coming in pretty consistently. And just like some of these other anadromous fish we're talking about, like they were chromey, like chrome silver if they were fresh out of the ocean. But it doesn't take them long to get a little bit of color. No, especially on that black volcanic sand, we found that very quickly they start to pick up more spots, more color, go darker on the belly, right? Because they're on that dark sand. Yeah. Jerome, who we fished with that first day, would always point out like the black tails. He's like, you can tell that this fish like has just been kind of starting this transition because the tail started to turn black like the sand. Yeah. And give us a feel for size, Corinne. What are we talking about down in Vatnamut? Um, Well, Honestly, I was surprised that there was such variety of size. Like yeah. I caught a couple that were like two pounders. Right. They were very zesty little fish though. Like little jump. football rockets. Yeah. Um, but we got a couple that were 
quite a bit bigger. Like, do you think the biggest one we got was maybe 28 inches? We taped my buck at 30 on the nose. Yeah. Honest 30. And one of mine was like 28 or 29, I think. Yeah. But really thick, really healthy, strong sea run fish. And the week that we were there, um, you know, we were fishing at the lodge, obviously, with some other guests from all over the world. And multiple people landed fish in the 34, 35 inch class. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about a brown trout that is that girthy, like that healthy in proportions, the difference in weight between a 30 inch fish and a 34 inch fish is significant. Really big. Yeah, our new friends, Jim and Amy, who we got to fish with a couple days right. and just had so much fun with them uh, telling stories over drinks and dinner every night. They had been there a couple days before us. And so they already were telling us about like some of these 34 inch sea runs that they were catching. And it was just incredible. Yeah, they're there for sure. I think it's also a really fun um sort of melding in Iceland where you bring in some of the Atlantic salmon fishing tactics um, and you can, you know, fish tube flies. We, we had good success with tube flies. Yeah. Were you surprised at some of the sizes of flies that we were fishing? Yeah. Some very <laughs> small flies. Tiny. Yeah. When those fish get up into those really, really clear rivers, like the Fossilat, you downsize. I mean, you're not throwing big, chunky, american west streamers yeah you're throwing if you're throwing a streamer type fly it's a thin profile usually not that big yeah more like some sort of small sand eel type profile that they would find i feel like yeah it's like a teeny bit of bucktail or yeah. something on a tube. yeah i mean our, our best <laughs> tube was what those little ones that i tied that were a little black possum strip yeah little hit of orange that's it. But up there, I mean, we had good luck nymphing. Mm -hmm. um, you want to describe some riffle hitch action? Oh my gosh. I'm sure Europeans who would listen to this, they're like, of course you'd try to riffle hitch. But for us, it's just not something. Is it a riffle hitch or a riffling hitch? We're you tell to, me. We're going to have to look that up. Somebody Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody can set us straight on that one. Exactly. But it's a tube fly, but a very small one that is meant to ride on the surface. And instead of going straight through the tube, you go through the side. So it makes a little riffle and a little wake and it kind of like jiggles back and forth. And it, the action on it is similar to, well, when the fish eats it, the action is like a dry fly. They come up and take it off the surface. Yeah. But it turns into like a skating fly. So it's yeah. very, it's kind of like a very slim profile idea of like a steelhead bomber. Yeah. But tiny, but tiny. And because you're coming up through the bottom of the tube, like you said, it will stay on the surface. And so I had one on just for a short period of time, but I did catch a char on it. That's true. I did not catch a sea run on it. And you had one come take a swing, didn't you? Yeah, big blow up on it. But our guide thought it was a salmon. Ah. We should mention that there are a few Atlantic salmon in some of the rivers in this area. Um, I did catch a small one. We're not sure if it was a grills or just a small salmon. We don't or know. Or how you really make that determination. Again, somebody can tell us that. Correct. <laughs> uh, but a really cool looking fish. I mean, a, a male, you know, small male Atlantic. I and mean, when, when I say small, it was what? 20 inches, maybe? Yeah, 18, 20 inches. Yeah. 
Um, we don't have photographic evidence because it was still very hot. Yeah, he escaped my grasp. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, there are a few around, but this area is very strong for sea run browns, not so strong for Atlantic salmon, which is, I think, kind of cool. You can really focus on the sea runs. Yeah, and you know what you're getting into. It's not like, I think a sea run brown is super fun. I obviously have not gone Atlantic salmon fishing, but they're pretty plentiful and they fight so hard. And like when they're eating, they're eating. Like when we would find them in those slots and the weather was right, which means rainy and cloudy, it was hot action. Yeah. So like, you know that that's what you're going for. And so it's very exciting. I think when you go and you're Atlantic salmon fishing, you kind of set yourself up to expect not that many eats. Right. <laughs> and then if what if you got an eat and it was a Ciron Brown and all you'd been doing was waiting for an Atlantic salmon, that would be hard. Totally. I would probably be okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there are a few really nice um, resident brown trout around too. You caught a beautiful one. I did. Didn't I catch two nice resident browns? Yeah. Yeah. They were just bright gold. Yeah. It's fascinating to catch out of the same pool a sea run brown and a resident brown. And we got a char out of that same pool. (laughs) And like you said, I mean, genetically, you know, it's like rainbow trout and a steelhead. They're the same. It's a life history discrepancy. And who knows what turns on and off that life history. But the coloration difference was stunning. Even some of just like the shapes, you know, the shape of the head and like gill plates are like super chromey, even when they're sea run and they've been in the river for a while. None of the blue, like perfect little blue cheek spots. They would get like a blue halo sometimes when they were sea run, but not like those beautiful little blush marks. Yeah, definitely. It's pretty fun. Fishing Stories is brought to you by Lock & Co. Whiskey. Distilled right here in Colorado and finished with hand-cut, charred Colorado Aspen Wood Discs, this whiskey is as unique as any trout stream. It has now won gold three times in the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. You'll want to grab a bottle for your bar at home or to take on your next adventure. Check it out at your local liquor store or at lockandcodedistilling.com. Lock is spelled with an E. Well... We talked about our first day having the perfect weather. Yes. AKA like terrible cold rain and dark, which was brilliant for yeah. the fishing. Just water pouring off. It was brilliant. Of our hoods. Yeah. The fish were just hammering. I mean, that first afternoon, I think we got to the lodge around lunchtime. We had lunch and I think we only had four hours of fishing. And I think we each landed like five or six fish. Yeah. That's not bad for just having gotten off a plane. Yeah. Yeah. And then unfortunately for the fishing, the weather turned beautiful. Yeah. Well, the next day it was beautiful weather, but I think the fish were still kind of in like cloudy, rainy mode. We got into them the next day. Definitely. And then as the weather stayed nice, it got progressively a little bit more challenging. Um, You know, those sea run brown trout in very bright sunny conditions with the water dropping kind of hunker down into some pools and so we did do some nymphing for them which like we are not opposed to we both not. we both like nymphing <laughs> if the conditions call for it which is actually kind of fun to just use some like colorado trout tactics totally and some pretty light tackle um to 
land some really yeah. nice fish. I mean, we brought like seven and eight weights for our both our double hand and uh, single hand rods, but you borrowed our guide Motz's three weight. Yeah, well, we we got set up on the dirty little Euro Nymph rig with the eleven foot three weight because we could see these fish on the far side of the seam, and they were just you know they were down there, and uh, I was like, man, if I had a Euro rod, we could just drop something to these things. And Mots was like, well, let's rig one up. Yeah, pulled it out of his bag of tricks. <laughs> we did it. It was actually not even a a long fight just because of the pool setup and that fish wanted to stay in that pool. If that fish in that area would have had room to just turn and rip on that three weight, we'd have been yeah. in a pickle. Well, I was so nervous because like where you were positioned once you were fighting the fish, there were like, you know, two currents on either side of you. You were on like a little mini island and then there was like currents on either side, but they were so shallow that that fish didn't want to go down there. Had he just risked it a little bit. There was plenty of water below that, but luckily, no. And luckily, Mots was a ninja with the net. Yeah, he's a good net guy. <laughs> Thank goodness. I was just thinking about how even when the like fishing is slow, it's just such an entertaining location. It's so beautiful. There's so much sightseeing. So the fossil lot with that main big pool is right on the ring road. So Iceland, for anyone who's been there, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, there is one main road that goes around the entire border of the island. Um, and it is tourism central. Like everybody who wants to get in a van and go camping or go from hostel to hostel or nice hotel to nice hotel, there's literally every level of tourism in Iceland is driving that road. And they're headed to the glaciers and they're headed to the volcanoes. So on these days when it was brighter, fishing was harder, there was like this cliff on top of the hole. And so we would trade off just because too many bodies. This is one of the better pools Absolutely. on the river, yeah. the spectator hole, as we call it. Yeah. And so we would trade off just one angler at a time because too many bodies. And, you know, we were even nervous, like what if like the tippet kind of glints in the sun, like how spooky or smart are these fish going to be? So we were just being a little bit techie. So one person at a time, meanwhile, the other person and Mots, our guide, were literally belly down on top of the cliff, like directing, like, yes, there's a fish up further right or further out or whatever. And all of these people driving the ring road, I think, saw how beautiful the river is, of course. And there's like a cute farmhouse and a beautiful waterfall and a, fly, and a fly angler in the river what could be yeah. more picturesque and surprise here it is and so they all would just charge up yeah to we had, take no, these we had to play defense i mean we had to be like hey hey hey, stay back a little bit just we had to for, box them out just for a little while here <laughs> go take a picture from over there please yeah excuse me but the uh photographing yes. area is over yes. there like we now, had to be i those will people. say it's uh that's the one hole which has that access. So it's not something that you would, you're not going to, most places you're fishing, you're not going to have people. Like no, but that was just that one day that was just hilarious yes. because we were getting so techy. Yes. Because the sun was like super bright, right. but, and that's where the fish were, you know, on any other day, the fish could be in a totally different hole. Like there's all those like big pockets where they'll sit totally. and that's where they were. Right. 
yeah, it's so funny. We should mention, I think we covered this in our first Iceland episode, but Iceland is uh, very European, very privatized in terms of their fishing access. So yeah. that's one reason you need to go with a good outfitter so that you have access to beats, which is has its pluses and minuses. The nice thing if you're flying over there is that you know you're going to have access to these areas and nobody else is going to be fishing there. Exactly. Except for the few people that might show up at the spectator hole. Yeah, they're only going to be watching, though. That's right. And then you just have to be a professional model. That's right. Well, and at Battle Hill, you know, they have access to three different rivers, and then they have another one that they can add on, basically, as kind of like, a, oh, you want to go a little further afield. It's called the Tumba Float. We got to fish that one. If anyone goes to Battle Hill Lodge, I would highly recommend adding a day at the Tumba Float. It was so interesting and such a cool spot. Um but they, they do set have it a up. small little self cater lodge. There yeah, you could too, do that. We were doing yeah as, a, as well as a single. But at Battle Hill Lodge, of course, like a lot of these lodges, they set it up so each day you get a different beat. Like in the morning, you get this section of the Fosola. In the afternoon, you get the other section of Vatnamot, and so you get to see all of these different places. And there's some sections of the Fosola that are like way, way up. Remember the like yeah. moss clouds? Yeah, crazy stuff up there. I mean, it's like walking on air. It There are, well, I shouldn't even say like that it's a legend. For Icelanders, it is true that there are little people who live in the hills and the mountains. There's a whole history of what we would call gnomes. I think it translates directly to little people. Um, but you see some of these landscapes and you're like, yeah, I believe gnomes. Yeah, they're here. wild enough landscapes. Or even you think like, well, could a dragon just sort of like rip out from that cliff? Maybe. Yeah. It looks wild enough. Like in theory, you drove, what, like a kilometer from the lodge and then you feel like you are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Because we like walked over these rocks that are covered with like nine inches of moss. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, the Tunga Flute was one of my favorite spots, especially it has a lower beat um, where once again, the Tunga Flute is very clear, a lot of spring fed um, river. And the, this lowest beat is where it meets another giant big glacial river. That's right. And you're casting out into that seam again, but it's really big water. It seems like there's always fresh fish moving around in and out of that glacial stuff what about the ones that were jumping just out of reach they're so big <laughs> but they're just out of reach i mean they are so big like it you was, can see them full dolphin jump. it was shocking that these fish really love sitting in that terribly dirty looking glacial water what's your theory as to why i know you have one my theory as to why is the seals mm. yep because they would sit in there and it looked awful, but I think it's protection. Yeah. Because they don't have like an osprey or a eagle that's no. hunting them from above. Uh-uh. No airborne predators really to speak of at all. Um, but that spot, I mean, some of the eats that we got on a pure swing in yeah. there, you know, on a two-hander and just a slow, steady, pure swing and then wham! As a person who this was my first time, like, truly fishing the swing, I had, like, swung streamers before as a technique with streamers, but not, like, a true swung yeah, and it fly is a little, approach. It is it's a little different, different especially with yeah. the two-hander, like, the true just letting that thing go. Yeah. 
it is a thrilling eat. Really thrilling. All of a sudden, you're like, oh my god, my rod's going to jump out of my hand. Yes. It was so fun. I also like the Tunga Flute compared to Votnamot because it flows the opposite direction and where you can fish is the opposite direction. So I had to practice both of my spay cast directions. Right, because you're fishing it from the other bank. Yeah. Yeah. So adding to the skill set for me. That's it. Well, do you remember that first day? No, it was our second day, but first morning in Votnamot. And we found that one slot and we were... I don't know, maybe 20 feet apart from each other. And it was like, we could not get one off and get a picture or like have the other person even see the other person's fish before the other one had one on. Yeah. It was like doubles. If we had had a rod for Jerome, we would have had triples. Yeah. It was out of control. I was just like stripping my line out when we first got there. Right. Flies just kind of jiggling around in the water, like two feet from my feet which is well it's a long rod so well sure you're 12 feet away okay 12 feet away yeah Yeah. jiggle 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 and i'm stripping 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 and boom there's a fish on and i was like all right i guess i have to deal with this first couldn't believe it you hadn't even like (laughs) set up a freaking cast yet no i like barely decided that that was where i was gonna stand to cast god so good it was so fun did we get to fish just those three? Are those all three rivers? Technically, we fished a little bit on one other beat, but I think that's that's really the main three that we fished. Yeah, but they are getting, I remember uh, the fish partner guys are getting access to a new river this year. Yeah. So I'm excited to hear how that goes. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll be the ones writing that report. No. No. Well, we really enjoyed it. Um, we have not fished. TDF or Tierra del Fuego for Ciro and Browns. Obviously, they're introduced down there, but sort of like the storied place to catch big sea runs. Um, we'd love to do that. Iceland, by comparison, from what I can tell, A, it's cool that they're native. That's always, always cool. kind of neat. Just like they evolved for that place, which I think is pretty cool. And B, you know, the landscape is not as wide open and windblown. Don't get me wrong. Could be breezy, but it's It was that... a little breezy a few days. Yeah, sure. But it's not like Tierra del Fuego open right. Patagonia breezy. And then it does seem like there's opportunity to put up a lot of numbers. I mean, to your yeah. point earlier, like a huge size range because these fish are pushing in and out different years, different places. There's all age classes. Yeah. It seems like that are pushing in and out. So you might catch an 18 incher. You might catch a 35 incher. You know, it's just kind of all over the map, but it seems like the numbers are really good if you hit any sort of decent timing, which is the case with any fishing trip. Oh yeah, you you can plan everything but the weather, as we like to say. But what's also cool about Iceland as a country is because it is the beat system and your license is specific to your beat for your specific day, um, you also record your catches, which I think for people who are used to the united states system of like give enough information but not too much information you know like don't overfish it but love it and you know like the total controversy and challenge there Yeah, like don't make it sound good or 
yeah. it's going to get blown up. Well, it's like, well, there's a certain amount of rods there per day anyway, and you got to pay for them. So it doesn't matter. Exactly. But they record every single catch. And so they have all of this, it's basically citizen science and they have all of this data from all of the years on these rivers and they are just as healthy as they've ever been. Yeah. They're doing great. And it's pretty cool to look and say, oh, well, three weeks ago, look, three people caught a 34-inch Ciron Brown. Yeah. Like, they're here. Totally. I really, it, it's interesting. It's not something that's part of, like, the American fishing culture. But no. it's pretty cool to get to look through those logbooks. It is. It's also worth mentioning that, I mean, we're in Colorado, and it's like a six and a half, seven hour direct flight from Denver. Yeah, very we, easy. We've been to Patagonia many times, not all the way down to Tierra del Fuego, but still, it's long flights. I mean, we love it down there, but it's very easy to pop over to Iceland. Yeah. And um, obviously, we work with Fish Partner, and they know their way around that island. If you want to fish for Sea Run Browns, they've got not just this spot, but the Tunga Flute, like we mentioned. They have access to Atlantic salmon, and then, of course brown trout and char yeah i mean the nice thing about that is like you can kind of custom make an itinerary if you want you know and do a week at battle hill add on a couple other things or whatever you want to do but once you're there you're going to want to stay for a while highly recommend yeah yeah the driving's easy the cell phone service is almost too good you know the water's clean there's a lot of it that's right yeah well we'll just have to figure out when we're going back definitely Okay. Well, to be continued on some Iceland things and many other stories to come on this season. That's right. We can't wait to share them with you. Cheers. Bye.